Amen. Good to worship with you tonight. Grateful that we have this opportunity to come together on Sundays, on the Lord's Day, as his people and worship him. Are you excited to be at church? Anybody? All right. Welcome if you're joining us online. We're in a series as we've been going through the book of Exodus focused on the Ten Commandments recently. And when you think about commandments, you tend to think about rules. And the thing with rules, nobody really likes being told what to do. Anybody like that here? Like, don't tell me what to do. I heard this story about this little boy, grade school age, is in class and he's having a hard time sitting still. Anybody like that when they were a kid? I used to get in trouble all the time in school. I was always acting out. And so this little boy's teacher very patiently told him like, Billy, you need to sit down. And so he sat down, but he's like a little boy. He has a hard time sitting still. And after a few minutes, he stands up again in class and he's kind of messing around. The teacher's getting a little more frustrated. She says, you know, Billy, I need you to sit down. So he sits down again and the teacher's teaching and it's been a long day. Billy gets up again and he's playing and he won't sit still. So now the teacher's frustrated and she goes, Billy, I'm not going to tell you again, sit down. And so he sits down and he's kind of like pouting, like bottom lips kind of quivering a little bit. And he says, I'm sitting on the outside, but I'm standing on the inside. You ever feel like that? Sometimes we tend to view God's commandments like these rules that are barriers to our freedom and, and fun, but God's commands don't keep us from joy and pleasure or blessing. God's commands protect us from sorrow, pain, and destruction. So when you hear God say, don't, you need to hear him saying, don't hurt yourself. Don't hurt yourself. And so we're going to talk about the third commandment tonight, which says, don't take God's name in vain. Over these next few weeks, we're going to get into some of the more misunderstood commandments. So I am looking forward to clearing that up. But it says in Exodus 20, this is where God gives the Ten Commandments to Moses. But in verse 7, he says, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. For the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Let's read that again. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. For the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. So if you grew up in a Christian home like me or around conservative Christian culture, you've probably been either scolded or had your mouth washed out with soap at one point for taking God's name in vain. And so we've got you know, hundreds of millions of Christians around America now who go through life and they respond to crazy situations. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. Or you got that really sweet grandpa, he hits his thumb with the hammer and he says, gosh darn it. Because you know, he doesn't want to take God's name in vain. But then a lot of the same people who shudder at the idea of taking God's name in vain, they turn around and they do take his name in vain, sometimes without even realizing it. What's the big deal about God's name? Well, God's name reflects the essence of his being. This isn't true for all of us as people. Most of you, you were named, you know, a second after you came out of the womb. Some of you, your parents had a name picked out before you even were born. They didn't know your personality yet. They didn't know your strengths, your weaknesses, your gifting, or how God would use you. They picked a name, uh, probably hoping that in some way it would be an accurate description of who you would be, or maybe because they just like the way the name sounds. People ask us about our daughter's name. Well, what does her name mean? Lila, what does it mean? And I'm like, I don't know. We just like the way it sounded. But God's name actually means something. 
actually means something. When Jesus came on the scene in Matthew 1, it says this, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. The name of Jesus in Hebrew was Yeshua, translated in Latin is Yesu, and that leads to us having the translation Jesus today. But his name, Jesus, it literally means God saves. The name tells us who he is, he's God with us, and it tells us what he does. He saves his people. And so God's name is a big deal. Jesus' name is a big deal. And we want to use his name in a way that honors him. So what does it really mean to take God's name in vain? I think it's not what a lot of Christians think. So let's talk about it and how we can avoid taking God's name in vain. I'm going to make four points. Here's the first one. Do not misuse the power of God's name for your purposes. Some people think of the third commandment as just a a way of prohibiting bad language or blasphemy. But it's more than that. It's primarily about how we use God's name. God gave Israel the extraordinary privilege of knowing his personal name. If you're new to faith, like maybe you haven't been going to church that long, I just want to, you know, let you in on a little bit more insight here. God's name isn't actually God. Uh, in Hebrew, the word for God is Elohim. And, but that's a general word for God that applies to even false gods. Or the name Adonai means my Lord. God's name in Hebrew, his personal name is represented by four letters. We would write it in English like Y-H-W-H. And this is called by theologians the tetragrammaton or tetragram, a four-letter name. But this is what it looks like, at least as it's written in modern English. And it's read this way, opposite uh, the way we read. But it's four letters. The Y is pronounced Yud. The H is pronounced Hey. The W is pronounced Wa, and the H is Hey. So you get Yud, Hey, Wa, Hey, and it means I am that I am. And theologians think the most likely pronunciation would have been something like Yahweh. And that's why we say the name Yahweh. Now, thousands of years later, uh, the people kind of inserted the vowel sounds from Adonai into those letters, and that's where the name Jehovah ended up coming from, but we know now that that was most likely an incorrect pronunciation. Some of you have Jehovah written in your Bible, or you sing some old school church songs that are like, you know, Jehovah Jireh, and that's just, like God knows that you're talking about him, but that's probably not the right way to pronounce it, so we should probably try to pronounce it more accurately, so Yahweh would be the right way for us to pronounce it as best we're able to, but knowing God's divine name was a privilege for Israel and for us. It means that we don't worship an anonymous deity, but a personal God with a personal name who wants to have a personal relationship with you. And that's a privilege, but it's a privilege that can be abused. I want to do something I don't normally do. I'm going to read this kind of longer passage from a Bible commentary. This is from Baker's Encyclopedia of the Bible, but I think it's really enlightening. It says this, in ancient Near Eastern religions, magic was common practice. Magic involved the use of a God's name, which was believed to control a God's power, to harness it for human purposes. Thus, the kind of activity which is prohibited by the third commandment is magic, namely attempting to control God's power through his name for a personal and worthless purpose. God must not be manipulated or controlled. Within Christianity, the name of God is equally important. 
through God's name is access to God in prayer. The abuse of the privilege of prayer involving calling upon the name of God for some selfish or worthless purpose or swearing falsely by it is tantamount to magic of the ancient world. In both, God's name is abused and the third commandment is broken. Positively, the third commandment is a reminder of the enormous privilege of knowing God's name, a privilege not to be taken lightly or abused. Okay, so in ancient religions, there's all these false gods and the priests and the followers and the worshipers of these false gods, they would use these false gods' names like magic words in their incantations and spells trying to harness the power of that god for their purpose. And so partially what what our God is telling us here is I don't want you engaging in pagan religious practices using my name like a a magic word uh, to control my power for your purpose. It, It might be like this, like you've maybe heard uh, about in the story, uh, Alibaba and the 40 Thieves. There's a scene where a guy, he stands before a, a cave and to open this cave, he says, open sesame. He's got like the magic phrase, like there's a magic passphrase, you know. And some people, they treat God's names like, God's name like that. And there are even Christians who they treat God's name like that. Like it's a, a part of a, just like a magic incantation. And God's saying, don't do that. Don't use my name like it's some magic code word to getting what you want. So maybe, you know, you're going to work tomorrow morning and, you know, it's been cold lately. So let's say you're sitting in your car, you're trying to start the car to drive to work and it won't start. So you're there, you know, you're like, man, come on, things start. And then, you know, you could say, in Yahweh's name, start. In the name of Yahweh, eh, start. In the name of Jesus, I command you to start car. And really, in a sense, this is what God's saying. Like, don't think that my name is your abracadabra secret word to using my power for your purpose. Now, you could sit there as a child of God and address your father in heaven from a place of humility and say, Lord, I'm asking for your help. Would you please make this piece of junk car start In Jesus' name, I pray. I mean, you could do that, and that would be okay. That honors God. Jesus does say this in John 14. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. This is a really powerful statement. Whatever you ask in my name. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do. A lot of people pay attention to that first part, but they forget to read the second half, which qualifies the first part that the Father may be glorified in the Son. And so some people will take this passage and like Jesus said, whatever we ask, as long as we use his name, he's gonna do it. And that leads to all kinds of bad teaching and bad theology and Christians who take God's name in vain, they use his name like it's some kind of magic word. And that's not how it's gonna work. Like there are some times when you might pray in the name of Jesus, and ask for something, that, that's a good prayer. You might pray, in the name of Jesus, I ask that you would heal this person. And there are sometimes that it glorifies the Father to heal that person. And there are other times that God says, no, I'm not gonna heal that person because according to his plan, it glorifies the Father for that person to honor God and praise him despite their suffering. There's sometimes you'll pray and you'll say, Jesus, I need help with my finances. Could you, you know, make it rain and just give me like a raise of work? And, and maybe he's like, yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bless you in some unexpected way. 
and that glorifies him to provide for his kids. And other times, it might glorify him for you to be content with less. So when you say, whatever you ask for in my name, it, Jesus will do it as long as it glorifies the Father. And whatever God's will is, it's going to glorify him when his will becomes reality on earth as it is in heaven. So when you go to work again this week, if you're like, man, I pray for my boss to get hemorrhoids in Jesus' name. He's a pain in my butt. I'm praying you're a pain in his butt too, Lord. God might not answer that prayer. Like that might not glorify the Father. It'd be kind of cool for you, but not for the Father. Here's something I want to emphasize. God's name works in any language. God's name works in any language. God's a big deal and his name is a big deal, but the language you use to speak his name is not a big deal to him. It doesn't matter what language we use when we say God's name. And I've been hearing kind of just more a swell of this sentiment lately of Christians who's like, you know, they're like, make a big deal about what language you say his name in. Like, oh, you're not supposed to say, don't say Jesus because his actual name was Yeshua. So you should say his name in Hebrew. It was Yeshua. If you say Jesus, that's wrong. That doesn't work. It's like, eh, invalid. Is that, is that true? Is that what God really thinks? Well, I think that this is a modern day type of Judaizers who are pharisaical about enforcing Jewish customs on Christians when it doesn't apply. And so an example of this would be like in Galatians, Paul warns against Judaizers. And these were Jews who were Christians, but they were trying to force Jewish custom on Gentile Christians who were non-Jews. And that's not what God wanted. But here, these Judaizers were saying, it's not good enough just to believe in Jesus. You also need to get circumcised. Aren't you glad that when you go to G101, they're not telling you you have to get circumcised <laughs> to be a part of the church? I just think personally, it's good policy. No surgeries as part of the church membership <laughs> process. And, and the apostle Paul rebuked these guys. He used very hard language when he rebuked them. There, there are times maybe I've been rude to people. I had to apologize. And there, there's other times though I was being firm and people didn't understand. And so they thought I was just being mean because I was being firm. But if you read the Bible, like both Jesus and the apostle Paul at times, they use very, very hard language when they rebuke certain types of sin. Like, you know what? Apostle Paul said to the Judaizers, Judaizers in Galatians 5.12, he says, if you like cutting genitals up so much, go ahead and just cut your own all the way off. <laughs> you know what, that, that'd be a good verse for your family Bible study tonight. You can just be like, come here kids, gather around. You think the Bible's boring? Read this, you know, like. And so we don't need to impose rules on people when it comes to speaking and praying uh, the name of Jesus that the Bible doesn't impose. Jesus sent his disciples out into the whole world to reach the Jew and the Gentile, and he doesn't require us to learn Hebrew in order to experience the benefits of being his kids. And, and the problem is when you impose legalistic rules on people that the Bible doesn't, where does it stop? It, ne it never does stop. It just goes further and further into death. If you're gonna make a big deal about saying it in the right language, are you also gonna require people to use the right pronunciation? It's just like, where does, it, where does it end? We know that you can say someone's name in different languages and still be talking about the same person. We have a gal on our staff at the church. Uh, she comes from a Hispanic 
background and her name pronounced in Espanol, it's something like Angelica. She's great. I don't know if she's in here. Angelica. And um, you got to forgive me if I'm not saying it right. I got 38 years of gringo, two semesters of Spanish. I'm doing the best I can. But, you know, if I were to say, you know, like, say like a white, white boy, he'd be like, Angelica? Uh, or that's why she lets us just use a nickname. Like she lets her friends just call her Jelly. And so, you know, we'll call her that. But, you know, if I was like, Angelica, can you help me please? Or if I said to her, Angelica, ayudame. <laughs> or if I said, Jelly, help. <laughs> she still knows I'm talking to her and that I need her help. And that's what matters the most. Or my wife, she has different names for me. Do you want to hear about him? <laughs> That's not PG-13. But she'll say Ryan, she'll say babe, she'll say my love, she'll say stud muffin, you know, all those things. And I don't really care what name she uses as long as she's whispering them in my ear. And that she's saying them with love. That's what really matters the most. We don't want to be legalistic about praying to the Lord or what language we speak his name in. You know, in Luke 5, there was a paralytic man who Jesus said, your sins are forgiven. And that man never even called on Jesus using his name. But Jesus knew the faith in that man's heart. Same thing happened with a woman who was sinful in Luke 7. They were healed. They were forgiven. They were saved because they had real faith. And God knows the heart. So in reality, it doesn't matter whether you see, say Jesus or Yeshua or Jesus. Say, use all the names. As long as you're talking to the right person represented by the name. There are over 300 names given for God in the Bible, but they're all holy. They're all sacred. Not that the letters or the vowels or the consonants are sacred. It's the person represented by the name who is holy and sacred. Okay, here's the second thing. Do not misuse God's name to validate your cause. A name carries authority and weight. It's like when you were a kid playing cops and robbers, when the cop is chasing the robber, uh, he says, stop in the name of the law. It's in the name of the law that I have authority to tell you to stop. Uh, so here I have a real police badge, a real police badge and comes from a real police department. This badge was issued to my dad in Kansas where he was a pastor before he moved our family out here. But the police department commissioned him to be a chaplain so that he could go you know, on house calls when people were getting bad news to comfort them. They gave him a badge and I was like, do they give you a gun too? And he's like, no. It's like, you just get a badge and a Bible, that's it, you know? But this is a real badge. Um, so I, I could take this badge and I can start flashing it around. Like I have authority. Hey, stop. In the name of the law. I could, go out, I could go out on Ellsworth Road after church here and as you're coming out of the parking lot, I could try to speed things up for you. I could walk out, I could stop traffic. Like stop, official police business. The people driving down, they might stop just so they don't hit this crazy guy in the street, but, but they might even look at this badge and be like, oh, it looks like a real badge. Maybe he's an undercover police officer. So they stop, you know, but eventually some real police officers are going to show up. 
and maybe some of our deputies from the campus will come out and they'll be like, uh, can we see that badge, please? I'm like, okay, yeah, it's real. It's the uh, same last name, but, but this isn't you. This was not issued to you. So although it's real and it represents real authority, it's not my authority to use for my own purpose. There are some people, they will take God's authority and the authority conveyed by his name and they'll attach it to their own cause. And that's like flashing a police badge that doesn't belong to you to get what you want, which is a felony impersonating an officer. But for Christians, it's taking God's name in vain. There are Christians who flash the name of God to validate causes that aren't God's. But when you look closer, they're taking God's name in vain. So you could understand it this way. The name of God carries authority and weight. Misusing his name is misappropriating his authority. And so this looks different at times, but one type of group you'll encounter might be a type of spiritual manipulator. And I think of when I was a kid growing up in church, there were worship wars in a lot of churches. You had an older generation that grew up in church singing old choruses and hymns. And then you kind of had this new younger generation that they wanted to sing uh, worship songs and use electric guitar and drums. And, and there was a little bit of conflict over what kind of worship we should sing in church. And, and you know, it's okay that you prefer one type of music over another. You're an individual and it's okay for you to have personal preferences. But what some people would do, I remember, is they would attach God's name to their preference. So they would say, you know, like, well, I like the hymns better, and that's the music God would really want us to sing. And other people would say, like, no, those hymns are, those things are so old and stuffy, and like this new music is so much more energetic, and this is what really pleases God. <laughs> it's like, don't take God's name and attach it to your cause. Or I think about a couple that was in the church years ago and they had a lot of conflict in their marriage and they would get in fights and partially the husband was kind of a passive guy. He wasn't really leading his family. Like we teach the men in our bold men's ministry, like you gotta be a spiritual leader of your family. Even if you are a quieter guy or if you haven't been a Christian that long, you can still be the spiritual leader of your family when you're not, you know, it creates problems. And so he wasn't. And he's responsible for the problems that he had because of that. But it didn't help matters that his wife could be so spiritually manipulative. And I remember one time they were fighting because she wanted to take a particular job and he didn't want her to. And so they were going back and forth and they couldn't agree. And sometimes in marriage, you have to, to kind of argue some things out. You have to debate some things and go back and forth. But when you can agree on a matter, that's how you know God is in the decision. When you can't agree... God's not in that. They couldn't agree. And you know what she did? She played the ultimate spiritual trump card. And she said, well, guess what? God told me that I'm supposed to take that job. And what's he supposed to do now? Argue with God? That's spiritual manipulation. And it's taking God's name in vain. Using the authority of his name for your cause. There are times when God does tell you to do things, but don't use his name just to get what you want. And then it can get worse from there. In Matthew 7, Jesus said this, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. So you also can sometimes deal with spiritual schemers or wolves in sheep's clothing. That's where that phrase comes from. And I've seen this kind of play out different ways. I've seen it play out through 
division. There are people who are dividers within churches. Like I, I think of one guy, he left the church that he used to work at and he started a church not far down the street and he was trying to take people from his old church to go with him to his new church. And people told him like, it's not really right for you to do that. You shouldn't do that. And yet he ignored that and said, hey, you know, I, I know what you're saying, but God told me to do this. And I've also seen rebels who they will undermine and they'll try to overthrow a leader that God put in their life. And I've seen pe people, churches run pastors out of town, fire them from their jobs and kick them out of the church, uh, not for any valid reason, but they'll use the name of God. Like, well, really, I think God is calling us to do this. This is, this is the Lord's work that we're doing. When it's not really, that's using God's name in vain. Or then it gets worse with false teachers. False teachers at times, like, they will teach doctrine or in ways that contradicts the word of God, but they'll use God talk in Christianese language and improperly wrap their false doctrine in it. And so you'll see this play out different ways. Recently, I saw one pastor that was preaching a pro-abortion, pro-choice message from his pulpit and using language of compassion and sympathy and, and really making the thing sound kind of spiritual and like this is something God would want and he was using God's name in vain. Or uh, you'll see pastors preach messages that condone homosexuality when the Bible is very clear that this behavior is not acceptable to God. And I want to say this very gently. I know some of you have friends and family that struggle with homosexual behavior, lifestyle, choices, or attraction. We should love those people, and God does love those people, and he will accept those people, but God never accepts sin. And yet you'll get pastors that will, you know, well, Jesus just wants us to love people. And this is false teaching, using the name of Jesus in vain to push an agenda that contradicts the very word of God. Or maybe universalism is another thing you'll hear. <clears throat> universalism is the type of teaching that says, like, we, you don't actually have to believe in Jesus. We're all going to end up in heaven in the end. It's another type of false teaching, using God's name in vain. These are schemes that take his name in vain. In 2 Corinthians 11, it says this, but I will continue doing what I have always done. This will undercut those who are looking for an opportunity to boast that their work is just like ours. These people are false apostles. They are deceitful workers who disguise themselves as apostles of Christ. But I am not surprised even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it is no wonder that his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. In the end, they will get the punishment their wicked deeds deserve. So God does not take lightly false teachers, false apostles who preach a message that contradicts his word. They're going to get dealt with harshly by the Lord. Even though they talk like they're doing God's business, they have their own agenda and they're just using God's name to validate their own cause. Remember at Exodus 20, it said, don't take his name in vain for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. There's a warning attached to that. Okay, here's the third thing. Do not use God's name falsely or casually. When you get into the Hebrew meaning of the word that we translate vain, it comes from the Hebrew word shav, 
And that's used 53 times in the Old Testament. And it communicates this concept of, of emptiness, vanity, falsehood, nothingness, lying, deceit, worthlessness. And so when the Bible says don't take God's name in vain, it, it means all of that. Don't do that. <laughs> don't, don't use God's name to deceive people. Like if you're a single guy, don't walk up, walk up to some single girl in church. You're like, God told me we're supposed to get married. It's like, no, bro, your eyes told you you wanted to marry that girl. Don't use God's name trying to get a girl who's way out of your league. You want to get that? Go get a job first. You want to get that girl, you know? Don't use God's name to make false promises. People, you know, like, I swear to God, I'll pay you back on Friday. And you know you can't pay them back on Friday. But you're using God's name to swear and promise. And that was actually really common in Jesus' day. Uh, in the, that day, people would they'd swear and they'd give vows and they'd make oaths all the time. You know, they like, like, you'll hear people say things like this still today. On my mother's grave, I promise on the life of my child, things like that. Uh, and people will do this. Jesus said, don't do this. Matthew 5 he says, you have also heard that our ancestors were told, and he's quoting the Old Testament here, you must not break your vows. You must carry out the vows you make to the Lord. But I say, do not make any vows. Do not say by heaven, because heaven is God's throne. And do not say by earth, because the earth is his footstool. And do not say by Jerusalem, for Jerusalem is the city of the great king. Do not even say by my head, for you can't turn one hair white or black or make any grow back. I added that last part. <laughs> Just say a simple, yes, I will, or no, I won't. Anything beyond this is from the evil one. Or, or you know, other translations will say, let your yes be yes, and your no be no. So Jesus is saying, don't go around swearing on, I swear on the life of my child, on my mother's grave, on, on my favorite football team, whatever, right? Like, if you have to swear in order for people to believe what you're saying, that tells you you have a credibility problem. You should be honest and a person of integrity so you can just say, yes, I will. And people know you're a man or a woman of your word. Otherwise, you're in jeopardy of taking God's name in vain. And then you get into some of the things with this part uh, where these are the things people conventionally think of when it comes to the concept of taking God's name in vain. And I think one of the most common ways is people think of the phrase, oh, my God. Oh my God, or uh, I can't say it in Spanish. Or if you're from California, like, oh my God, right? <laughs> OMG, that's like, like what some of the people will say for short. I remember as a teenager, we were going to Mexico on a missions trip in the church van and the tire blew out. And so the van kind of swerved for a second. Everyone was startled and kind of screamed. And I was like, oh my God. And, and the youth pastor, he got the vehicle under control and he looked in the rearview mirror and saw me and he's like, Ryan, we're gonna talk about your language. Now I had used my fair share of four letter words up until that, but in this moment I was actually kind of confused. I was like, what are you talking about? And he said, you took God's name in vain. And I'm like, oh, okay, but did I? And that's a good question, did I? You have to realize when God gave the third commandment, Nobody at that point in history, 3,500 years ago, had ever uttered the phrase, oh my God. <laughs> that English language hadn't even been invented yet. So taking God's name in vain is not primarily 
using a phrase like God or oh my God or whatever combination of words that by themselves are relatively harmless, but when you put them together, people think you're swearing. But even though it's not the primary meaning of the third commandment, it can be a part of it. If you're saying the name of God or Jesus or oh my God, whenever something bad or annoying or upsetting happens, that's kind of strange. And I think you could think about it like this way, you know, like the name of my wife. If I just think about like the name of my wife, how am I using her name? How am I using, well, you know, if I was, if I was changing my, my daughter's diaper, she's trying to get potty trained, but let's say I, it was my turn to change the diaper. And so I open her diaper up, it's dirty. And like the, the smell hits my, my nose. If I was like, oh, Amy. <laughs> like, why, wait, why are you associating your wife's name with the smell of feces? Or, or you stub your toe at night, walking through the house, like, oh, Amy, ah, oh, Amy, Amy, oh. Wait, 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 why are you calling your wife's name out uh, in response to the pain and frustration that you feel right now? That's like a weird thing to take the name of someone you love and attach it to a, a moment that's distasteful or, or tragic or upsetting. Why combine those things? It just doesn't even really make sense logically, let alone spiritually. But if I was to see her when I'm, feeling lonely or sad, and she comes into the room and I say, oh, Amy. Or if, if she sits down next to me and I'm like excited to be close to her and I say, oh my, Amy. <laughs> right, like, or if I'm like trying to work out in the gym and I get too big for my britches and I can't lift the weight and I'm like, ugh, and I'm like, oh my, Amy, <laughs> oh my wife, <laughs> like help. That would be an appropriate way to use her name, to either express love or call for her or ask for help. And, and it's the same with God. If you were to, if you were to be dealing with a, a really difficult situation or you got some bad news and you said, oh my God, that could be like a prayerful cry of help to the Lord or you're about to get into an accident and you can't swerve in time and all you can do is just say, Jesus. But you're not saying it as a curse word in that moment. You're saying it as a, a cry to the one who can save. That's, that's kind of how you can understand this. It's all about the heart. God knows your heart and how you're using his name. So use it in a way that honors him and be slow to judge someone else when they use his name. And don't just assume they're using his name in vain necessarily. Let God handle that. And here's the last point in closing. Uh, I heard a, a father ask his son, Son, do you know what it means when the pastor says, in closing? And the kid said, no, what? And the dad said, nothing. It means nothing. <laughs> but I am actually closing. We're going to wrap this thing up here. The fourth point is, don't take God's name without living God's way. And I mean this now in a bit of a different way. Think about in marriage when a man and a woman get married which by the way is the only type that God recognizes, when a man and a woman get married, the wife traditionally takes the husband's name. She takes on his last name and she identifies herself now by his name. She might come into the marriage with no money to her name, with debt, broke, but when she marries her husband and takes on his name through that marriage covenant, she receives all the blessings that come with the name. By taking on her husband's name, all of his wealth, and he's got wealth because she don't want no scrub. 
becomes hers. All of his protection becomes hers. All of his inheritance becomes hers. The blessing of his achievements are hers as she takes on his name. And as part of that committed marriage covenant, it comes with benefits as you take on the name. But there's an expectation of faithfulness with that covenant. In the same way, when we as Christians, we take on the name of Christ, we put our faith in Jesus, we start calling ourselves Christians. The name Christian, it means Christ-like or even little Christ, literally. By taking on the name of Christ, there's an expectation that you will live like you're a part of his family. Don't take his name and then continue to live like a spiritual orphan or even worse, like a spiritual adulterer. That would be taking his name in vain. In John 13, Jesus says, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. And in the next chapter, Jesus says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And this isn't saying, you know, you have to keep all of God's commandments perfectly in order to be loved by him. It's not saying, you know, if you break one commandment, that proves you don't really love him. No, that's not what it's saying. Because none of us are going to keep God's commandments perfectly. And in a series called the Ten Commandments, we're very aware of that. As we go through these commandments, you're going to find that you've probably broken most of them. You're like, oh, well, I haven't murdered anyone yet. I'm doing, I'm doing good on at least one of them. <laughs> but fortunately for us, we're not saved by perfectly keeping the Ten Commandments. We're saved by grace. But what we find is that when you love the Lord, when you love Jesus, over time, you're going to try to follow his ways and to please him and to honor him and live up to the name that you've taken on. And, and you're not going to always do it perfectly. And sometimes you're like, man, I haven't even been doing a good job trying, but I want to do a good job trying. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. And that's what happens. Your life starts to change the longer you walk with Jesus and you become more Christ-like, and you are living up to the name that you've taken on. And when you fail, you know, you own it, you confess that to God, you repent of that sin, and then you receive his mercy and his grace. And we're going to mess up more often than we want, probably, but fortunately his mercy is new every morning. And there's a reminder of God's grace and his love, which covers over a multitude of sins. But we should be encouraged that when we know the Lord... We know a personal God and we have the opportunity to have a personal relationship with him. And when we act in the authority of his name, we have the ability to do great works for his glory. When you took on his name, you received all the benefits that came with that. His favor and his love and his kindness, blessing, health, provision, and better forgiveness and eternal life. All of that becomes yours through Jesus. And so, man, if, if as we go on through the Ten Commandments series, you've been feeling maybe some kind of conviction, like I've broken this commandment before. Okay, that's good. Conviction can be good. You just acknowledge it and you confess it and you receive God's forgiveness. And that's the reminder for you, man, I'm going to honor God's name. It's holy and it's beautiful and it's powerful. And I want to treat his name that way. Or maybe you're here and you're like, oh, man, I want all the benefits that come of being a part of God's family, but I don't think I am a part of God's family. You're not, honestly, you're not a child of God until you're saved by God through faith in Jesus. It's a common mistake. People will say, we're all God's children. That's not true. God's children are those who are God's children. 
We're God's children when we trust in Jesus and we're saved by him and spiritually adopted into the family of God. And man, that comes with a lot of benefits, doesn't it? When you say, hey, I'm trusting in Jesus. It says in scripture, anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And it's not using the specific syllables, the vowels, the consonants, Jesus, but it's the person represented by the name. Jesus, the son of God, as he is revealed in God's word, who died on the cross for my sins and rose again three days later. I'm trusting him to save me. I'm trusting that his blood shed on the cross will wipe me clean from sin. I'm trusting that his resurrection power gives me hope for life beyond the grave. I know I can't save myself. I'm done trying. I'm putting all my hope in him. When you do that, you will be saved. And with that comes all the benefits of being a part of God's family. Maybe you're here tonight and you're like, I want that. So let's take a moment just to address that. Let's close our eyes, let's bow our heads for a moment. And if you're here and you say, I wanna be saved, I wanna take on the name of Christ and I wanna know God myself and have a personal relationship with him, then I just wanna lead you in a prayer and if you just pray it with me, um, I'll lead you in it. But it, what matters most is that you mean it from your own heart. Pray with me and say, God, I ask you to save me. I confess that I've sinned against you and I need your forgiveness. I'm putting all my trust in Jesus. I believe he's the son of God. I believe he died on the cross for my sins so that I could be forgiven. And I believe he rose again so that I can have eternal life. I wanna follow Jesus from this day forward. I ask you to give me the strength to do that. And I thank you for loving me every day. And I ask that you would lead me as I move forward in faith. I pray all this in Jesus' name, amen, amen. Let's keep our heads bowed just for one second. Uh, and just in a moment of privacy, if you just prayed that prayer, I wanna acknowledge that. We're not gonna embarrass you right now or anything like that, uh, but we wanna celebrate with you. And I think it's powerful when you respond outwardly to what you just decided inwardly. Uh, the only thing we're gonna do is if you respond, we'll have someone come and just hand you a Bible. Uh, but we're gonna take a moment for you to respond. If you just prayed that prayer, I'm gonna ask you just to raise a hand up as a way of responding so that I know uh, that you were participating in that moment. So if that's you, just go ahead and raise your hand up high and say, I just prayed, great, thank you. Anybody else? You said that's me. Awesome, thank you so much. Church, let's stand to our feet together. We're gonna take a moment to worship the name of God and give him the praise that he deserves. Aren't you grateful that you get to know his name? Come on, let's worship. <laughs>